1: A lift. We're heading out to Pasadena. It's a beautiful day in LA, sunny. Doesn't seem to be even a lot of traffic on the highway. I've now talked to a number of women about Mark Ramsden. We're on our way. We'll be meeting her soon. And each time they tell me their story, they mention one person 960. This artist from LA. There it is. Call her. My friend Aria told me about her, too. Bye-bye. Mark had said that she was his wife and that she had died after battling cancer. And now he was left to raise their children alone. For others, he told them that she was his childhood friend, or the wife of his best friend, or his ex-wife. None of those things are true. But there is one thing that he didn't lie about. This mystery woman, she does live in LA. So I've come here to meet her, hoping she can shed some light on his motivations. Because the thing is, the story about Mark doesn't seem to be the typical con man story, which makes him strangely even more intriguing. Was he driven by money or sex or power? Mark certainly doesn't seem to be violent. Maybe this dead wife in LA knows. I'm Kathleen Goldhar, and this is Do You Know Mordecai? Chapter 3, California Dreaming. Hi, Kathleen. So Hi. nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Come on in. What a wonderful place. Thank you. Oh, it's so and compared to Toronto, like the idea that it's outside and it's actually gorgeous.
2: Yeah, it's really nice here.
1: I'm just gonna leave my shoes right here. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, awesome. The apartment is sunny and inviting. But what are these here? <laughs> In the corner of the room, there are these tall cages with a few small rodents inside. One of them has no hair. Hi, guys. I heard they make nice pets. They're wonderful pets. They're like little dogs. No, they aren't. Ooh, he nipped. She's playful. Yeah. She's playful. Hi. As each of the women who'd been dating Mark began to wonder about the stories that he was telling them, they would Google names that he'd given them or places where he said he'd lived. And all roads seem to lead to California and to this woman, whom I'm going to call Justine.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm very nervous. I know, I know.
1: Like the others, Justine met the man she called Mordecai online. But this time, it wasn't through a dating app.
2: Well, my, my artwork was published in a magazine, and um, he saw it. He reached out on Twitter just saying, oh, you, know, I, you know, I love your art. I love work on this subject.
1: Can you show me some of your art? Yeah. Okay. I'd
2: love yeah. to see it. Okay.
1: Justine takes me to a back room where her paintings are in a box on the floor.
2: Okay, so this painting is about the, the dusty colors of Los Angeles in the daytime and about the long shadows. It's a little bit humorous because I find beauty in a gentleman's club. So the painting is called Gentleman's Club.
1: Justine was getting more exposure than she'd ever received before, something she was unsure how to deal with. And at the same time, she was
2: going through a hard time at home. I had extremely high anxiety and I was sort of having a lot of um, emotional breakdowns. It was really hard for me becoming a parent. My child was very active and uh, he dropped naps at 18 months, which is really early. Like he just didn't need it. He could just go like the Energizer bunny. So I was just, um, I was with him all day and I was just kind of getting pushed past my limit. So in the evening when my husband would come home, I would be just like, barely holding it together or not holding it together. Just, I wanted to just go down and scream and, and break things. Like, that's just how I felt.
1: The stress took a toll on her marriage, and she separated from her husband. And then she started talking more and
2: more to Mordecai. And so I just kind of decided, well, I have uh, emotional support here. Justine said she had a rough childhood,
1: and that was partly to blame for why she had trouble managing her emotions as an adult. And guess what? Mordecai could relate.
2: Until he brought up that he had experienced neglect growing up, I'd always kind of kept him at arm's length.
1: What was the story he told you?
2: His parents had, he was like born in New York, his parents had gone to Europe, um, there had been boarding schools, an alcoholic mother. And so how does the relationship develop? Uh, he's in Montreal, okay. and he was supposedly going through a breakup. But I don't think the breakup was at all like he illustrated it. Um, it was all just part of his sort of manipulation.
1: Justine and Mordecai started to chat all the time, and the conversations would go on for hours.
2: He... uh Said he was a writer, and that he was having a story published in The Walrus, I think it's called. That is what it's called. It's a monthly magazine. It's
1: like the Canadian version of The Atlantic.
2: I remember that because I kept looking every month, and that story never came out. And he said that something happened or other.
1: He also told Justine he was Jewish.
2: Yes, yes, he was Jewish from the very beginning, which he, in real life, is not a Jewish person. He did tell her
1: that his given name was Mark, but that he went by Mordecai.
2: That's where the Mordecai name factors in. He says that that was his Jewish name. He said that he wanted to stop using his more Anglo name and and be Mordecai and embrace his heritage.
1: Mordecai seemed to understand Justine, and he offered her endless support. And the fact that he wasn't actually ever in California and that it was only an online relationship, well, it worked
2: for her. Like he said, he was coming many times and never came. And I, I knew that that he was weird and wasn't really compatible with like my family and my life. So I think a part of me just didn't mind.
1: But did it become romantic too? Like, was there a sense that you guys were falling for each other?
2: Yes, it it did. It was also romantic. Yeah. For over a year,
1: things went on like this. Until one day... Hi. You don't know me, but strangely, I know a whole lot about you as basically the love of Mordecai's life and best friend. Justine got this Facebook message. I feel very sheepish about writing to you, but this is a last resort attempt at trying to figure out if there's any truth to anything that he's been writing me in the past four months. Truth is, I don't know what to think. And it's the point that I wonder if I couldn't just be the butt of a cruel joke.
2: I get this message and I'm like, whoa. I'm like, sort of reeling, like, because this is the hint of, first hint of truth I've, I've really had.
1: Justine answered and they continued to talk.
2: We shared pictures back and forth to, to show we were talking to the same person. It was funny. Her pictures, he made his hair different than in the pictures for me. Like he, I think, made himself have a different look for her. Like his hair made his hair look like like messier and longer. And he even in his in her photos like held his face differently, whereas in my photos, it was a bit more, I guess, spiffy looking with glasses.
1: I totally know what she means. I've seen some of them. In one, he looks like an IT consultant. In another, he's got a bit of a hipster barista vibe. Justine confronted Mordecai. He told her to ignore the woman, that she was a bit odd and possibly obsessed with him.
2: It's just been sporadic contact via a writer's group. And then? Pretty sure she has a crush on me. She is smart but kooky felt like harmless communication, but I think she idolizes my life and maybe the attention. I didn't in a million years think she'd reach out, but I've been ignoring her so that's probably why.
1: It was all just a bit too unnerving.
2: So, uh, so then I stopped talking to him. And that's that? That's actually how it ends? Or do you ever meet him in person? Uh, a few months later, because I wouldn't speak to him. And he kept trying? Yeah, he kept trying. He kept sending me these emails. I'm thinking of you. Um, you know, I'm here for you. Um, wait, don't, don't turn away from what we got. Blah, blah, blah. And I just sort of, I had moved on. But
1: Mark was so persistent. And he offered to come meet her in person. And Justine, well, she was lonely.
2: The story was too weird for me to tell anyone. So I didn't have any real-life friends to to help me because it would all been too weird to to share. And so I kind of just didn't care.
1: So despite the unease, Justine relented. And Mordecai flew to L.A. The two finally met in person.
2: Um, Yeah, I would visit him at the hotel. We might go out. um, Or he would come over if my, my son wasn't around. He was charming, he was funny, he had fun. I mean, he's, he probably knows how to mail to any ideal partner to any woman. He, uh, he, he cooks. and he cleans? Things became
1: intense quickly. They were together all the time. At first, it was nice, but things began to turn. That charm she loved suddenly became smothering. He was clingy suffocating. And then there was one day when they were out for a walk and somebody asked for directions. Mordecai confidently told them where to go. But it was the wrong way. And he knew it. And then it hit her. I think he enjoys fucking with people. Justine was still dealing with the fallout from her marriage and struggling to raise her young son. I'd been apart from my husband for over a year.
2: So after about a month, she'd had enough. I began to want him to go. And I couldn't get him to leave because he supposedly had no money and no credit cards and couldn't go. And then he asked me to drive him to the Western Union and to the airport. So I do that. And that was the last...
1: After he left, Justine reconciled with her husband, went to therapy, and thought she had put Mordecai behind her.
2: It should be so far behind me now, Um, but it's not. Let's see, so after the first woman reached out to me, let me think, who was second?
1: It was about a year after that first Facebook message, after Justine had broken up with Mordecai, that she got a similar message, but from another woman. This time, the woman was confused because she thought Justine was Mordecai's dead
2: wife. I feel like he's gone more and more into conning. Like, as he evolves, you know, I'm now I'm dead, and I'm his dead wife in his stories. He um, unfortunately shared photos that I shared on Instagram of my child and me. Um, there's one professional photo that we I had shared, and I think he finds that one really useful because it really makes me seem like I was a... Can I see it? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah.
1: So do you want to describe this picture a little bit?
2: Well, uh, my son began kissing at a very young age. So it's a picture of me on his first Mother's Day. And I'm very happy. And he is kissing my face.
1: He's an infant.
2: Yes, he's very young.
1: And his hand is on your cheek.
2: Yeah, it's kind of an embrace. That's
1: very much a child loving his mom. Yeah. And you're right. It's a perfect photo if you were dead.
2: Yes, um, (laughs) yes. It's black and white which also
1: yeah it is the perfect photo
2: yeah how does that feel though for you I feel horrible uh, that he's using my child's image too I mean it, it, it's all horrible you know because what he does is he he uses my child to um, deceive these women in some ways You know, I feel like I'm a part of this con because I feel like by using my story and using me, that's how he ropes them in. And it's horrible.
0: I'm David Kushner. And this is my brother, John. Growing up in Florida in the early 70s, kids were free to run around for hours outside. No plans, no cell phones, just a promise to be home before dark. When John was 11 and I was four, he biked away from our house, through the woods, to a store nearby. He was going to buy me my favorite candy, a little plastic alligator head filled with chewing gum. He pedaled off into the woods, but he never came back.
2: Maybe have a word with you, my dog.
0: I've been a journalist for decades, but the story I've chased the longest is about my brother John, the story of what happened to him. I think the worst thing of the worst is that you never would find the person. On one hand, I desperately wanted to find something. And on the other hand, I was absolutely terrified of finding something. And the story of what happened to our family and our town after he disappeared. A little boy simply goes from his house through some woods to go
2: to get some candy at the 7-Eleven and never comes back. That is every parent's essential nightmare.
0: When you realize that anything can happen, anytime, anywhere, how do you go on?
1: I just wanted
0: to talk with other people who've gone through it. I felt isolated and on Mars. I believe now, looking back, it was absolutely to try to find some answers. And here I am searching for some kind of answer. And how the hell do you continue? This is Alligator Candy. Coming this May, a new podcast from UCP Audio and Transmitter Media. Follow and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Not only did Mordecai use Justine's image to lure other women to pose as a sensitive, grieving widow, he pretended her paintings were his own. I remember my friend Aria showing me what she thought was her boyfriend's art. It was all Justine's work.
2: So he's just out there on on Bumble, on OK Cupid or at your coffee shop, pretending to be this very charming, interesting guy who misses his dead wife and he's using that to get into women's homes and invade their you know, their, their, their bodies as well. Have you told him to stop? Have you told him that,
1: like, have you communicated with him and said, I know you're using me? I
2: had blocked him. And I have not reached out. I I just don't want him to come back to me and fixate on me again or come into my life. So I haven't reached out. And plus, nobody can track him down. Like, I might send some sort of cease and desist letter. But he has no address, because when he's between victims, he's, I guess, in a shelter on his phone, deceiving new women. Yeah. I don't paint much these days. You know, my work is, is light, and and I get a lot of encouragement around it, it's been published. And I've been in a few shows, so it's unfortunate. It doesn't make you angry or sad or frustrated. I, I mean simply put, it makes me sad. It's it's a great it's a tragedy in my life. I love your work. Thank you. Sorry he took it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's still mine, but I know. yeah, it, it sucks. Yeah. It, you know, it makes it, it gives it a, a layer, an unpleasant layer. When Mark
1: used Justine's art and images to reel in and deceive other women, it robbed Justine of something deeper. Her artwork, which was so personal and creative, now felt tarnished. So did that black and white photo of her and her son. She had unwittingly become a partner to Mark's deceptions. He used her to use other women. It's still something she can't escape. Today, Justine is the point of contact for all the women in Canada. We talk, and we all keep an eye out. And each time she hears from another woman, she warns them not to go for that second round.
2: He says, look, I have problems. It's true. I have um, personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And I lie. He can lay it out very clearly. Because he's an expert at convincing you that he should be given a second chance. It's going to sound really convincing, but he will not change this is what he does it's it's um he's a serial deceiver i'm able to tell them look this is what happened i'm so sorry that this happened to you and i completely understand their confusion because it's it has that feeling of when somebody dies when you have the when you realize the extent of of the deception it just it's because when I say it feels like when someone dies it's just because your whole understanding of the world as you know it mm-hmm. comes crashing down
1: how, how do you feel every time you get that note that first
2: message it's very seizing it's a strange seizing feeling and I always know I'm going to be kind of emotionally uneven and not sleep well for a few days and I also go through it with them. I'm not going to leave them to process this on their own but I I want to do it because I have also found that each time it happens, each time I go through it I reach a little bit more clarity and I have a bit more of an understanding of what happened.
1: Do you think that the emails those you think you're done getting them or you think there's more women out there?
2: I am positive that there are women out there who just were not able to find me or took a different approach.
1: I traveled to LA to meet Justine in the hopes that she could help me better understand Mark and why California looms so large in all his stories. The truth is he spent just over a month there and his relationship with Justine was mostly online. Mark simply used Justine to create the life that he wished he had. And like any theft, it left her feeling violated. So what now? Despite the fact that Justine does her best to warn women about what Mark is up to, she knows she'll never get ahead of them. And by the time they find Justine, they're already involved and hurt by Mark. How do you stop him before he finds the next woman? Coming up on Do You Know Mordecai? How are you feeling? A little nervous, for sure. Um,
2: I'm feeling like on one hand, should I be more calm or should I need to tap into some bigger emotions to, to bring attention
1: to the story? I don't know. I don't know. I think you have to just do what feels right.
2: Like I'm actually wondering even what's the first thing I'm gonna say. Like, I'm here to report what I believe was
0: sexual abuse.
2: Go. Okay.
1: This podcast was written and produced by me, Kathleen Goltar, and Michelle Shepard. Our executive producer is Stuart Cox. Our associate producer is Alexis Green, with assistance from Abi Raheja and Dania Ali. Sound design and mixing by Mitchell Stewart. Our theme song is created by Quiet Type. This is a UCP Audio podcast in collaboration with Antica Productions. Our UCP Audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Jennifer Sears, Josh Block, and Amy Bell. For more information, go to our website at ucpaudio.com.